right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Startup Fuck Up. Uh, today, I have an interesting guest with me. Uh, I have Brendan Kumarasamy. Uh, and Brendan, let me know if I botched your name up totally, but uh, I hope I did it right. You got um, it. Brendan is a speech coach. Uh, speech, or is it more presentation coach? What, what's the best way to describe you? You could say public speaking coach. Public speaking coach, great. Uh, and Brandon runs Master Talks. So Brandon, maybe uh, I'd love to hear a bit about your background before we jump into to today's topic, which uh, which is we'll be talking about age discrimination or ageism. Um, so yeah, tell us more about yourself. What brought you to where you are today? Kind of what motivates you? What drives you? Yeah, for sure, Chin. Happy to be here and happy to talk about that as well. So for me, the journey started when I was in college, university. I went to business school. And my goal was to do these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So all the guys my age are playing rugby or baseball or basketball. I wasn't really one of those guys. I did case competitions, which is presentations competitively, Chin. Mm -hmm. That's how I learned how to speak. But then as I got older, I started coaching a lot of the students on how to communicate ideas so that they could do better in competitions as well. And I accidentally developed a skill in communication and public speaking. And that's how Master Talks started. I started making YouTube videos in my basement. And then it just turned into an unimaginable uh, YouTube channel and following and business. Wonderful. I don't think anything is ever accidental. It's You go at it with some sort of interest or passion, and then it develops into something more. So if you're purposeful, I think it will always lead you somewhere. Love that. Yeah, so um, interesting background. And tell us a bit more about Master Talk. Like, where is it right now? Um, what kind of companies do you coach? How far along is it? For sure, Chin. Happy to talk about that. So, Master Talk is both a YouTube channel and a coaching practice. So, the mission of what I do is helping the world master the art of communication, public speaking. So, of course, I can't coach everybody. So, the goal is really how do I make sure that the next Oprah Winfrey, the next Elon Musk, who might be a seven year old girl in Cambodia, how do I make sure that that person has access to free resources and how to speak? So, that's the main mission of Master Talk. And the other piece of Master Talk is the coaching arm, where I train a lot of executives and CEOs on how to communicate their ideas effectively. Presentation skills is one of them, removing their ums and ahs from the vocabulary so that mm -hmm. they're able to uh, clearly communicate what they want to share with the world. And I've been doing that for many years now. Great. Yeah, I definitely think um, a, a lot of executives and, and founders tend to overlook some of these more, I call them essential soft skills, when they focus on more of the business hard skills, like, you know, looking at marketing, at sales, but there are a lot of important skills, like how to communicate, how to negotiate, uh, you know, how to handle high stress or high risk environments, those kind of things. So I, I love that you're helping them with improving the communication aspect, which not a lot of people emphasize nowadays as well. Um, Cool. So maybe to, to kind of set the tone, because we are talking about age discrimination today, how old are you now? And how old were you when you started Master Talk? Of course. So I started coaching when I was 19, mostly for free back then. I started Master Talk when I was 22, and I'm currently 26. Mm. So I, I, I think the topic of age discrimination is an interesting one. It goes both ways. Naturally, uh, most people who are founders tend to be in the younger demographic when i say younger it's usually like 25 to anywhere from like under 40. um so that there is some bias when let's say if you approach an investor or if you approach let's say a, a fellow executive 
uh, when they look at you as a younger founder. And, and when I say bias, it, it works both as a double-edged sword. So I, I've seen older founders try to start companies and they really struggle with uh, getting some amount of seriousness or attention that they deserve because um, people think that, oh, did this person waited till they're like 60 to start a business? They're already <laughs> past their prime kind of thing. But on the other side, like we as younger founders, I myself, I'm 34 now. And when I started my first business, uh, that was back in 2011. Uh, gosh, how old was I when I was 2011? 23. 23, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we, we as younger founders, we, we get the challenge of not being taken seriously enough. I think, especially if you're in a position where you have to sell your services to uh, older executives or older people in business, they they tend to view us as like, oh, kids these days, you know, they they tend to patronize us. So I'd love to hear a bit about your experience around that. How how have you found the experience with being taken seriously? How how do you get people to um, kind of trust you uh, to see you as someone credible? Absolutely, Chen. So a couple of thoughts on that. The first one is you're absolutely right. You know, I had a lot of imposter syndrome and I actually was really bad at it at the beginning because, you know, today my average client is 20 years older than I am. Even now as we're talking, my average client is probably 45, 46 years old. So so it was challenging back in the day, not only to coach them, but to also get their trust. Because initially what I wanted to do was coach students, but the problem is you can't build a business around it because they don't have any money. So I needed to age up over time or else I wouldn't have a business in the speaking world. So that's what ended up happening. And you're right. When I was approaching a lot of these executives, they would laugh me out of the room. They'd be like, come on, the kid is going to coach me how to communicate that you've been, I've been at my company longer than you've been alive, kid. Like, what do you know about communication? And I still get that to this day, by the way, Chin. It's not, it's just a lot easier now because mm -hmm. I have a lot more credibility than I used to. But I mean, my God, at the beginning, 19, 20, 21, I, I struggled a lot with it. And it was really difficult because I would jump into every single room and I'd always get rejected over and over again. So yeah, definitely empathetic to that. Yeah, no surprise. So I, I part of what I do is I, I do a lot of sales training and coaching as well. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on like when when I teach people in sales, typically the, the first impression or the first contact uh, when anyone is meeting with a new client, a new prospect, what they're usually trying to do is... Uh, two things. So one one is number one is build rapport with the person. So when I say rapport is getting people to see that you're similar to them, that you relate to them, that you're someone who's trustworthy. And then on the second front is building credibility, seeing you as someone who actually knows what he's saying, actually has the ability to coach them up. So how have you been able to use some of those elements to kind of overcome some of those objections when people think like, ah, you know, Brendan's too young for me, or, you know, can you give some specific examples of like when people were rejecting you because of that and how do you try to get over that? For sure, Chen, great question. So let's start at the beginning, which I think is an important mindset to communicate here, which is we need to understand what the point of business is. Cause a lot of people, they, they think everyone needs to say yes, and if people don't, it means we suck. That's not how it works. We need to look at business objectively. So what does that mean? It means not everyone will buy everything. So for example, I don't own an iPhone. I think they're too expensive. I don't think they're worth the money. Whereas most people who are listening to me talking about iPhones would heavily disagree with me. They'd be like, why would I use an Android? I'd rather use an iPhone. So it's the same idea with business. So for me, the number one rule is never to try and convince everybody because your product is not for everybody. Mm -hmm. So now the question becomes, 
how many customers do I actually need out of 7.8 billion people in the world to actually make my business sustainable? So that's more of an objective question has nothing to do with their age, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. The second thing that you realize, especially in the business that I'm in, which is coaching, is because it's a very high margin business, you know, we're doing anywhere, if you're running paid ads, you're probably doing 80, 85% gross margin. And if you're not running ads at all, and you're just word of mouth, you're doing 90, 95% gross margin. So most of the money that you're making, you get to keep. And the average coach is probably charging a few thousand for their package, you know, for the whole experience, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say three to $5,000, though some coaches charge 50, depends on the offer. But the idea is, let's say you're trying to make 100 grand. So when we really break it down, if we're selling a package for 3,000, we only need to convince 30 to 40 people in the world, like in the mm-hmm. entire world, that we are worth buying from and learning from. Does that make mm-hmm. sense so far? Yep. So the first recommendation that I have is focus on the truth. Focus on what the numbers tell us. Focus on the objectivity of what we need to do to succeed rather yep. than the subjectivity of saying, oh, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. So now the last part of that logic is going, okay, who should those 40 people be? Mm -hmm. And what I found from my experience, Chin, is most of the people who believed in me early either went to a freebie, they watched my YouTube videos, so they built some trust with me. Mm -hmm. But the other piece, which is way more important, is they've tried other communication coaches in the past and they Mm -hmm. didn't get the result. Mm -hmm. So they essentially saw me as their last resort. They're like, well, Brendan, I've already invested fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in a bunch of other coaches, and they all suck. They all didn't get me the result. Can you promise me that you'll be different? Which brings us to the last point. Give them an offer they can't refuse. So my first fifty clients, I went up to them and I said, Look, this is what I charge, but mm-hmm. I won't you don't pay me until you get the result. So they couldn't say no. So that's yeah. the other piece. Cool. No, very interesting. That there's a lot in there. So I'm gonna try and unpack that a bit. Sure. Um, so one of the things I heard you talk about is the the viewing things objectively and not taking it personally, uh, not not seeing it as like, oh, I'm not good enough or people are rejecting me. That then I I guess also plays in part into the imposter syndrome side of things as well. Um, but also like true, it is a numbers game, but at the end of the day, it's also about uh, in sales though, the the way I typically tell my clients is, you know, there's a there's a certain subset of clients that will always buy your product no matter what you do, no matter how terrible of a salesperson you are. And then there's a certain subset of customers that will never buy a product. And, and those are the people that you don't want to waste your energy on, right? And then there are people who are kind of in the middle where maybe they can be convinced. And not to say that you're manipulating them, but it's more about helping them understand a bit better what the value is or un- help them de-risk the opportunity if, if that's the case. So I, I'm hearing some interesting things that you talked about where you try to help them kind of quote unquote de-risk the opportunity or or build a bit more credibility. So you talked about your having that your YouTube channel, where that number one, obviously, uh, if you have a lot of views, if you have a lot of subscribers, that helps boost uh, boost the credibility side of things. But also it also teases some value. So people understand like, okay, I can kind of see like, you know, how Brandon's a bit different from other people, what his approach is. So kind of like the try before you buy kind of thing. And then the second thing I heard from you that was interesting as well is the, the the guarantee where you say like, hey, you don't have to pay me anything until you see results. So I kind of like like that kind of approach. Was there anything else that you did uh, that you found that you had to kind of adjust or, or be creative with in terms of kind of doing things a bit differently so that people would be willing to take that leap in, in terms of working with you? 
for sure, Chen. Absolutely. So you summarized all of it amazingly well. I completely agree, right? It's the idea of how do we just pick the right people we want to work with? But I would say the other piece I would add to this is a couple of other points. One is you need to demonstrate more. If you're someone who's young, you need to demonstrate more maturity than the person you're speaking with. So for example, let's say it doesn't happen all the time anymore. Let's say one every 25 calls, mm -hmm. like a strategy session with me. Somebody comes in and they go, hey, how old are you? Why are you credible? Why should I listen to you? Mm -hmm. Before I used to get really nervous about this. Oh my God, uh, no, I have this much experience, this many clients. And I start to freak out on the call. Mm -hmm. But what I'm doing is I'm demonstrating immaturity mm -hmm. versus let's say somebody's 45 I'm speaking with. I'm gonna demonstrate the maturity of a 65 year old man. So I'm going to answer with, what is it about my age that bothers you? And I just ask them the question back and they go, well, I'd be afraid of this or that. And my reply immediately would be, absolutely no problem. Have you attended one of my free trainings before? And they go, no. And I was like, how about this? Why don't you attend that first? I think that'll give you a better flavor mm -hmm. of whether or not we, we feel, you feel we can deliver the result for you. And then I'm more than happy to have a follow-up conversation with you. Does that sound good to you? So notice I'm really calm through the entire time and yeah. the girl goes, oh, I get it. Okay. He's more mature than me. I need to stop yelling at him and I need to be more, uh, need to be more at his level. So <laughs> that's one piece. So notice I'm showing more maturity than the executive. Yeah. And then the other piece, like you said, is how do we get credibility? I believe credibility can be earned. And, and this is not just me talking about it. We, we know this all well. Mark Zuckerberg, he's what, in his 30s? He's running a multi-hundred billion dollar company that used to be a trillion dollar company at some point. The Collison brothers are in their early 30s, right? And they're running Stripe. So mm -hmm. it's definitely possible for young people to run big companies. Mm -hmm. So how did they get the credibility so quickly? That's why I always like to say, and I got this from, from AJ Vaynerchuk, Gary Vaynerchuk's younger brother. Yep. It's not about the number of years you have in experience. It's about the number of outputs that you've put into the system mm -hmm. in yourself. So for me, what, how I've played it is an exercise that I call the question drill. So the question drill is essentially, Chin, where you get asked a bunch of questions about your business, your products, your services, and your expertise, but you're reactive to those questions. Mm -hmm. Somebody asks you, you go, oh my God, I didn't think of this, versus being more proactive about them. I just did that on steroids. I had friends ask me thousands of questions about communication mm -hmm. so that I had an answer for everything. So every time I got into a strategy call with the top end CEO and he would ask me a very nuanced question about being a CEO and communicating, I knew the answer better than he did. That's why he trusted me with this transformation. Yeah, no, very nice. I, I, I like that part. It's not about the number of years you put into it, but the number of outputs or how productive you've been in that space. So love it. Um, another thing that, that I that I also find just as a random tidbit that I'll throw there as well is um, when, when it comes to building credibility, Another element that might help as well is demonstrating a level of passion for the topic as well. Not just showing that you're an expert in the field, but also showing people that you're actually passionate about whatever you're doing. Um, and, and that is something that is a bit harder to fake, I guess. So I, I'm not encouraging people to fake it, but it's mostly <laughs> like, be authentic. If, if it's something that you enjoy, you know, you don't have to tone down your level of passion. Like if you're passionate about it, just talk about it. Cool. Um, on, on the rapport side, on the common ground side, I'm curious if you have any tips and tricks around that. How do you get people to like you or see that you're relatable to them 
uh, especially if they feel like, ah, oh, you know, Brendan hasn't had the life experience that I've had. You know, I'm I'm a CEO of a company. This guy's just a you know a, a young business owner. How how do you build some of that common ground there? Right. So there's a couple of ways of approaching it. I would say the way I've done it in my specific business, which not everyone can apply, but it's worth mentioning, is there's a lubricant in between the conversation with me and their interest in communication in general. Mm. And that lubricant can be a bunch of different things. Social media is one. And, and Sharan Srinivasta says this so well. He says, fame is the most efficient business model where you get on a call with somebody who already knows who you are. Oh my God, Brent, I've been watching your videos. It's so cool to finally meet you. Mm -hmm. So that's one piece of doing it. The other piece is, let's say a free workshop or a free training in the education business that works really well because you don't get on a one-on-one -on -one call with them directly. You invite them to a workshop. And if they don't want to come, they're not interested in communication anyways. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter. But then if they attend and they go, wow, like this is so good. Then when they get on the call, there's a purpose. So then at the end, we go, hey, team, like this is a call. This is the intent of the call. And if you agree with the intent, why don't you jump on, which is like to help them with their communication, developing a plan for them. Yeah. So then they get on the call with that intent. In terms of rapport, though, which is more about networking events, you meet somebody new. Here's the way that I approach it, especially in my business, but I think it applies for most service-based businesses and a lot of product-based businesses that you don't need to make everyone your customer. Mm -hmm. So for me, the question has always been, Shin, make a list of all of the questions you wished other people asked you and mm -hmm. just ask other people those questions. So whenever I meet somebody older or I'm at networking with them, I don't go like, so, uh, you know, tell me more about your business. Like, I don't do that. I go to people and I say, like, what are you excited about building this year? What's the biggest lesson you learned about yourself this year? Mm -hmm. Those are the questions that I ask people. And the people that resonate with that message, they want to ask me those questions back and we build a rapport. So it's not about trying to build a rapport with everyone. It's an understanding chin that we don't get to talk to a lot of people in our life to begin with. We might meet a hundred new people a year, which means we don't get to talk to everyone. So focus your energy on the people you love the most, who are often introductions from people that are already working with you are good friends of yours. Nice. I, I like that approach. Um, and, and just to kind of expand on that as well. Um, but when I say rapport, I don't, it, it does apply to networking events, but I don't think it's exclusive to that. Uh, I, I think a lot of sales also involves relationship building and rapport as well. Um, and and you probably don't don't mean to say this when you say it the way that you say it, <laughs> but but what I mean is um, usually with a lot of clients, it's having that that shared common goal or having that shared motivation, understanding what they're trying to accomplish. Like that's a really great way to build some rapport as well. But some some clients that I find as well is, or at least some salespeople I find, they tend to be very transactional, mm. and you'll find that the big projects that you get like some of my biggest projects are really long-term projects where i work with a client over a couple of years so these clients that there's some level of rapport that you need to build with them over time it's not necessarily like rapport that you built like just in that first meeting kind of thing right so but i was thinking like around around that element of rapport how do you kind of build that common ground so yeah the, the shared objectives are one what, I'm, I'm reminded of an example that I learned from another friend of mine that I think might be interesting to put out there as well is um, th this buddy of mine, he was, uh, his name is Stevie. He was on a flight back from Singapore and he was seated next to the, the vice president of Universal Studios Singapore. And what he found actually worked really well for him in conversation was focusing on instead of 
experiences uh, and kind of tasks, duties, roles, jobs, those kind of things, which naturally, if you're someone who's younger, you don't share the same level of experience that that older person might have. But what he honed in on was the element of uh, emotions, because we are all human. We all share emotions. And yes, like if you're running a large multinational company, you may have a lot more frustration around managing your team versus if you're, let's say, the student council president, that you, you have a smaller team, but you also share that same level of frustration with different things as well. So if you hone on, on hone in on emotions, I find that it, it makes people open up a bit more and just be more human and just talk a bit more about like how they're feeling, how do they deal with that emotion, how do they navigate some of that those elements. So just want to put that out there. I love that. Yeah, and I'm happy to comment on that, Chin. Thanks for the context. So there's two parts there. One is that we talked about with the Universal Studios VP is like just asking them questions you you wish you were being asked. That's one piece. But on the strategy call itself, what I would opt for is not really trying to build rapport in the sense of you know asking about their family and stuff, which I'm not, which I don't think you're recommending either. I think it's more about what we call in sales that you probably teach a lot on this podcast, a question based framework where you're asking them questions about where they are now and where they want to be. Because at the end of the day, when we think of sales, for me anyways, the way I've always seen it, is it's all about figuring out, does the person on this call actually need what I have? So it's not about trying to make our close rate 100%, but it's rather about understanding the desires of our client, of the person in front of us, and says, does their desires align with the product or service that I'm selling? So I would ask them questions like, Talk, talk to me more about what are some of the communication challenges you have. So if they go, I don't have any communication challenges. I go, well, I guess the call's over. <laughs> mm-hmm. what, what else have you tried in the past to work on your communication skills? Why is this important to you? Or my favorite one, what's your vision? Like, where do you see yourself in the next three to five years? And just listening to them. You know, I always believe that sales and rapport building, I feel is all the same thing at the end of the day. Because mm-hmm. if we don't know how to build rapport, you can't do sales. Is 80% of the game is really just asking questions and just listening to what their aspiration is and restating that. So here's what I heard, Chin. I heard that you know you had a great story around Singapore and this is your dream. Did I get that correctly? Is there anything that you would change in what I just described? And they'll add more points. And I feel that conversation alone is good enough to build that rapport because a lot of people don't really feel seen, heard, and understood in any conversation they have in general. So if somebody's just sitting there asking them powerful questions, they really go, wow, Like I want to be around this person great great point um love to hear some of your tips around kind of dealing with or coping with imposter syndrome because that that's the one, one part of the the age discrimination side of things or ageism is uh that the part that we put out into the world where we feel that people react to but then a lot of it is also internal about how we process how we think we're being judged by the world so how do you deal with imposter syndrome for sure, Chen. Great question. And I'm probably the expert of imposter syndrome since I started coaching so many people who are much older than me. So here's what I'd say. I'll tell you a story. The story is, let's say I came to your city. Okay, let's say you lived in Vancouver. And I go, hey, Chen, I'm in Vancouver. What should I do? You'll probably tell me. You'll probably say, hey, you should go to this restaurant, go to this attraction. You'll have a lot of fun here. And you'll probably tell me. In the same way that if you came to Montreal, which is where I'm from, and you go, hey, Brendan, I'm in the city. I don't know what to do. What should I do for fun? I'll probably tell you, Jin. But don't you find that odd? 
because we're not tour guides. I don't think any of us on this call are certified by Yelp or TripAdvisor to give feedback on where you should travel if you come to one city. Yet, when somebody asks us for directions, when somebody asks us what to do in our hometown, we talk about it without even thinking whether or not we're an expert. So why is it that with some pieces of information, we just open our mouth and talk about it without ever thinking about our expertise or imposter syndrome coming out? And the other side of the equation is going, hmm, like there's a lot of information that I'm really scared to share that I'm an expert in. So why is there a disconnect there? I believe the disconnect is because of what does being an expert even mean, Chin? What does the idea of being an expert even mean? And a lot of us think expertise is, hey, you know, have a PhD in this or a master's degree in that, and that's all great. But for me, expertise has always been you're one chapter ahead of the next person in that specific skill set. So in the same way, you're probably a lot more talented than I am at startup growth, at sales, at marketing. I probably know a little bit, bit more about communication and public speaking. So what's the punchline? The punchline is from Ali Gadet, which is if you help one person, the world will give you permission to help every other person in the world. In the same way that for me, I started with 15-year-old girls and boys because that's what I was comfortable with. Then I started coaching people my own age. Then I started coaching people a little bit older than me. And then I went straight to CEO because to your point, a lot of my friends as well were technology CEOs and they were young. And then I learned how to coach them. Then I learned executive coaching and then I aged up over time. Cool. I like it. So if I'm hearing that correctly, it's not so much about being, or at least the the, the definition of being an expert, not trying to be perfect in your own image of what that expert needs to look like and it's more about recognizing that you know a little bit more than the person that you're working with and you can add value to the person and just lift them up even if it's just a single step higher absolutely chin the idea is really start with the person you're comfortable serving first like i didn't start with ceos and executives for sure i was mm -hmm. super intimidated by them but the most important thing that i did chin was that i started and there's a great quote by zig ziglar on this you don't have to be great to start but you do have to start to be great mm -hmm. so when you start coaching people that you're comfortable with or helping people. It could be a very small business if you're a business coach, like what could be a friend's business that you do for free. Well, eventually what happens is competence leads to confidence, like Dan Henry says, and that imposter syndrome slowly dissipates. Nice, love it. Um, I think we are kind of drawing towards the end. Uh, is there any other kind of key tips that you want to share or any specific examples around, um, you know, the the kind of, ageism that you faced or dealing with imposter syndrome? Yeah, you know, my advice for anyone who's young, Chin, which is very counterintuitive to most people's advice, it's it's not the Gary V's, you got a ton of time. Okay. I don't like that advice. For Even if I respect him and he's a big hero of mine, I would say my advice to young people is don't lose your lead. Mm. There's one thing that you have that older people don't besides a fresh perspective on the marketplace and how you look at the world, the biggest advantage you have is time. And I don't mean time in the sense that, you know, you can spend 20 years just doing a bunch of random things. I meant more in the sense that if you develop expertise, like real expertise in your 20s, you will be absolutely dangerous in the marketplace. 
because most people will not develop that expertise until they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, or even 60s. So I would encourage you, if you have a lead right now, you feel like you're onto something, I would say push that lead because it will make you a category of one and you might just be the best in the world at what you do if you do it long enough. In the same way Tony Robbins started when he was, what, 16, 17 years old? And because of that under Jim Rohn, and now today he's like 62 and he has the most experience in coaching than any other human being on the planet who's alive right now. And that's really the idea. Yeah, great advice. Some of it may not materialize right away, but if you're pursuing that lead that you have, you know, when you're 30, you're going to be much further ahead than the folks, than, than your other peers who did not put in the same level of effort that you put in, so to say. Absolutely. Uh, Great. I'm going to try and summarize some of the key points uh, in, in this episode, and then maybe we'll wrap it up with kind of just telling people how they can find out a bit more about you, about Master Talk, about working with you, those kind of things. Um, so kind of starting from the top, uh, number one is viewing some of the objections that you face more objectively, uh, not taking it personally or, or seeing it as something that's subjective. It's at the end of the day, there will be some people who won't work with you. And it's not necessarily because of your age. It might be because of other reasons as well. Uh, that's one point. Another one is when, when it comes to building rapport, uh, asking people questions that you enjoy receiving yourself, uh, that you enjoy ad addressing. Um, building rapport, finding common ground around kind of their, their motivations, their desires. What are they trying to accomplish? Uh, we, we talked a bit about demonstrating passion, not just expertise um, in, in the space. We talked a bit about focusing on uh, emotions because everyone's human, and regardless of how old you are. Uh, we talked a bit about uh, acknowledging. So you mentioned showing people that you're actively listening, uh, that you are actually in their space, that you uh, empathize with them, that you sympathize with them. So acknowledging that you're actually hearing what they're saying as well. Um, and then on the imposter syndrome side of things, we talked about um, kind of disconnecting yourself from what you define as being what it means to be an expert uh, and then focusing on delivering value how can you actually help people uh, understanding that you don't have to have necessarily the qualifications quote-unquote or certifications and it's more about if you know something that someone doesn't know and if you can help them understand something a bit better or perform something a bit better then that's an accomplishment and you should celebrate that instead of thinking like oh i'm not qualified and i i i'm not really the right person for this job kind of thing uh, anything else you want to add to that before we wrap we wrap up love that shit no it's an incredible summary and thanks so much for having me that was great great so yeah just just to kind of uh wrap things up uh if people are curious to learn more about you and, and if they want to work with you uh what's the best way to, for them to learn more about master talk for sure, Chen. Thanks for having me. So two ways to keep in touch. The first one is go to the YouTube channel Master Talk, and you'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to communicate ideas effectively. And the second way to keep in touch is to come to one of my free workshops on communication and public speaking. It's over Zoom. It's live. It's interactive. It's fun. And if you want to learn me do all these tips in person, you can jump in on that call at rockstarcommunicator.com. Great. All right. Thanks for joining us and thanks for sharing your wisdom around your experience dealing with uh, age, age discrimination. Uh, yeah, I think we can wrap it up here. Thanks again for your time. Have a wonderful weekend. Thanks, Tim.